Abolition. Abolition. Six Semper Tyrannus. Pig said, he's good and dead now. Pigs running around laughing. They were really happy, you know. Talking about Chairman Fred's dead. I never saw Chairman Fred again. The bullet, which was in fact recovered from Mr. Hampton's body, uh, was a bullet fired uh, out of a carbine by Officer Davis. He's pumping his shotgun. I turned in his direction. I fired two shots at him. Six Semper Tyrannus. Newton's body was found before dawn in a pool of blood on a West Oakland sidewalk. Police said he had three bullet wounds in the head. Newton's wife's car was parked and locked just 30 feet away. Six Semper Tyrannus. Some very sad news for all of you. And I think uh, sad news for all of our fellow citizens and people who love peace all over the world. And that is that Martin Luther King was shot and was killed tonight. Remember? I was sitting in the front row, very right in front of Malcolm, uh, in fact. And uh, he came out on the stage. The uh, introductory speaker turned over the platform to him. And... He raised his hand in uh, a Muslim greeting. Salaam alaikum. At that point, uh, I heard a rumbling behind me, and I'm sure everyone else did too. And I turned around in my seat to to see what it was. And uh, then we saw I saw two guys standing up. And the next thing, my next impression, well, I have to go rapidly to understand, is that the gunshot. And uh, I saw Malcolm had his hand up. He had said, he said, stay cool, stay calm, or something like that. And uh, just then, the gunfire went off, and his, his hand was up. I remember this. I turned around quickly, and the next thing I saw was Malcolm falling back in a dead face. Six Semper Tyrannus. In 1963, Medgar Evers, the NAACP secretary for Jackson, Mississippi, organizes boycotts of shops that enforce Jim Crow laws. Let me say this to you. I had one merchant to call me, and he said, we don't need nigger business. So let us not trade at these stores. Let's let the merchants down on Capitol Street build the economic tent. NBC News cameras carry Evers' impassioned speech nationwide. Three weeks later, a gunman shoots him in the back. Booth probably had this weapon for at least five or six years before the assassination uh, took place. It fires a single bullet, so this is like we say, one and done. (coughs) Booth dropped the pistol, went to the front of the box intending to escape. Major Rathbone jumped from his seat. He grabbed Booth from behind and pulled him back from the railing. Booth twisted around in the Major's grip, and for the first time the men were face to face. And Rathbone later said he was absolutely horrified by the look on Booth's face. And Booth was stronger than Rathbone was, so he was able to free himself and slash Rathbone with a knife. Booth leaps from the box to the stage. Six triple Tyrannus! And makes his escape. Six number Tyrannus. It means thus always to tyrants in Atlantic. It's been a long day with
without you, my friend And I'll tell you all about it when I see you again We've come a long way from where we began Oh, I'll tell you all about it when I see you again When I see you You just heard a Max Mix featuring music by Wiz Khalifa. See you again featuring Charlie Puff. Audio news clips reporting the deaths of anti-racism abolitionists or civil rights leaders of the time. And the video provided with that has a visual image list of civil rights activists killed courtesy of the Civil Rights Memorial, SPLC. Peace and welcome to Abolitionist Abolition Today a weekly syndicated online radio program with specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. My name is Max Parthas, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Yusuf Hassan. Peace, Yusuf. Hey, peace and blessings be upon you, Max, and upon all of our listeners. Amen, brother. You know, last week we talked about slavery rebellions, past and present, and especially the reasons for rebellion, which is the only thing worse than a rebellion itself. This week we remember the martyrs of a movement. We'll also be joined shortly by guest co-host Dennis Febo, who will tell us about his campaign efforts for ACR 145 ballot question for this November on abolishing slavery and involuntary servitude permanently. Before we get into that, check in with Yusuf, of course, and uh, see what his opinion on the track was and how his week was. Hey, Max. So I enjoyed the track, but, of course, I couldn't enjoy it. You understand what I mean? Because, you know, the video, and I encourage everybody to go to our Abolition Today uh, Facebook page, so you can actually see the video that goes along with it, and you're just seeing the faces behind the names of all the people, and it's not even all the people, it's just a small segment, and yeah, it was really, you know, really touching, you know, watching that video, and then, of course, listening to the song, and as far as my personal week, you know, it's been a roller coaster ride, man. You know, some good things happening, but at the same time, I can't ignore of everything that's going on around in the world, you know, outside of my home. So yeah, it's been a it's it's been a challenging week, man. Really a challenge. I can imagine, brother. You know, I was in tears down there the whole time I was creating that uh, production, and uh, the week has been crazy. Uh, people are just being murdered left and right, and we're hearing about uh, we're seeing people being shot dead in the streets by police during a pandemic. Uh, like, there's no tomorrow. <laughs> but I, I've had some highlights during this week, things that have really uh, made me feel a little better. One was watching the protesters in Seattle 
watch 13th, the film 13th, right there in the middle of the street in mass. A few hundred people right. sitting there with a big screen in the middle of the road and the film 13th playing on it. That really made me feel good. And the other one was meeting our, our brother Dennis Spiegel. Uh, You know, <laughs> the conversation we right. had yesterday was just inspiring, always inspiring to find other abolitionists out there uh, working on the same projects, you know what I mean? And it's like we always come to yeah, the same definitely. conclusions, no matter who we are or where we at. We always come to the same conclusions about what we're dealing with and how to handle it. Well, yeah, I feel I the same know, way, uh, Max. Right, right. I want to bring him in as soon as possible. So let me go ahead and give a quick uh, introduction of who he is, and then we'll bring him in, Okay. Dennis Feeble, sure. Ma is, I'm gonna, I might mess up some of the language here. Pardon me, Dennis. Ma is uh, Bariqua and a native of Brooklyn, New York. He is the founder of Gazabara, uh, I might probably mispronounced that, Insights, LLC, a health and educational service provider whose goal is to raise social consciousness and uplift communities via dissemination of cultural and social consciousness education. For the past decade, Dennis has spoken around the country around race issues and justice for our communities. As of 2013, Dennis implemented the Guadalajara Insights Community Reintegration Program, where he has worked with thousands of inmates and the juvenile justice system. He is currently spearheading the abolition movement in New Jersey with a current bill, ACR 145, to push the vote on amending the New Jersey State Constitution to permanently abolish slavery and involuntary servitude, including as punishment for crime. Dennis is an artist uh, and a father of five. And I'm going to go ahead and unmute Dennis and bring him in. Welcome to Abolition Today, Brother Dennis. Welcome, welcome. Peace, blessings, and I chair my beautiful family. Hey, peace, peace. Amen, brother. Welcome, Dennis. You know, you you uh, really enlightened me to something uh, just recently. Uh, like many years ago, four or five years ago, when I found out that after all we had been talking about with amending the 13th, that the 13th Amendment can't be amended. It has to be repealed and replaced. And it changed my way of thinking about how to deal with this. You did the same thing for me uh, just yesterday. Uh, people are always asking in states that don't have an exception clause in their state constitution, what can we do? It never dawned on me that you could actually include an amendment in the constitution with anti-slavery language. So indeed, thank you for that, Dennis. Amen. Amen. That took me uh, breaking my head open, calling every single lawyer, ACLU and not anyone could give me the answer to this question until I sat down with Colorado. And when I then came back and did the research and saw that New Jersey didn't include the language whatsoever in the Constitution, then we knew where to strike. Well, there's a lot of people who are probably listening now, and bells are ringing off of their heads like it wasn't mine. Because, you know, there's 24 states that actually have pro-slavery language in their state Constitution. New Jersey wasn't one of them. They didn't have any. Uh, pro-slavery language in the Constitution, but they didn't have any anti-slavery language either. So there's people out there right mm-hmm. now who are listening going, yeah, I can do something like that in my state, like South Carolina, for instance. Uh, tell us a little bit about the bill uh, and who's behind it and how far it's gone. 
<clears throat> so this started with, uh, again, I run cultural education, social consciousness education inside of the Hudson Correctional Facility in New Jersey. Um, I run groups on the tiers with uh, incarcerated community members. Most of them happen to be melanated. And uh, the whole discussion comes on the historical context and understanding status and law, where they find themselves and how come it is that people of color find themselves in the majority in these institutions. And while I had read a lot about the information, I thought that Ava DuVernay did a wonderful job on the film, The 13th. And uh, since I am able to show them um, any kind of media in respect to what the curriculum side to, I showed The 13th inside of the jail. And a lot of people don't know about this issue, and especially in an incarcerated position, it's kind of like you're learning that you're a slave, right? So it was interesting that when I turned the movie off and to feel the energy in the room, some of it was despair, but some of it was kind of rage or anger, like, oh, what are we going to do about this? So I said, what do you want to do about it? I said, as a matter of fact, I keep hearing these politicians of color stand up in front of the people and say that if they ever needed, we never needed anything to come to them. So I say, all right, let's write a petition. I thought it'd be interesting since we lose our right, our civil right to petition grievance of government uh, while you're incarcerated. I thought that I could use my voice, uh, write what I needed to write in regards to the proposal and submit it to these politicians. So what I did was the attendance sheet or the people that signed on, we put signed by the disenfranchised and I got a, a nice large amount signatures from inmates inside of the, the detention facility, and I submitted it to the head of the Black Legislative Caucus in New Jersey, which is Senator Ron Rice, and he built with uh, Assemblywoman Angela McKnight, and they both agreed to take it on. It took two years to get the language right. Again, when I first started talking about this publicly, people thought I was being crazy, right? And I had to do a lot of teaching for people to understand why this was a very, very pertinent issue in regards to anything that we're trying to do in regards to forward movement in our community. <clears throat> so it took a lot of language and a lot of sit downs. It took us almost two years and then COVID hit. So it kind of dra dragged it out a little bit, but we are in committee right now. So we are organizing campaign into pushing. I feel a little confident about not necessarily having a campaign so hard on the legislature because of the fact that, and it, an assemblyman or woman or a senator must stand up and say that they are for slavery. I think this is one of the most beautiful questions we could press government with. If you stand up and you say you're for slavery, then we know where you stand. But we know how politicians work. They're not going to make a decision that's going to shoot themselves in the foot. This is why when Colorado did it in 2018 and before that, Amendment T and Amendment A, every single legislator voted in the affirmative. So I already know in any strategic effort any state would want to take, proposing this question alone on the floor, whether it be in committee or forcing it to a vote, it would, it would basically make politicians show their true colors. If they really stand for change and they really stand for justice, and, and we've already made it very clear, it doesn't have to be an extensive essay or a whole documentary. I'm just saying a quick one-pager explaining why this is the root cause of everything that's going on. So I feel confident in that process. What we're really focusing on is to register our people to vote. This is another beautiful strategy on behalf of, uh, of this cause because now we got something to go vote for. See, if I'm going to go into the hood and talk to people about registering the vote to come vote for Biden, I'm going to have way less success than if I tell them to come vote for our freedom. 
So now with this bill, we're going to potentially increase voter participation in communities of color and people actually hitting the ballots and submitting their ballots to make sure that we get this question answered correctly. Now, I know it's going to be hard to fight in Jersey because we do have racist elements in our society, as Colorado did because a third of their state voted to keep slavery. Right, so right now we're on the press five months to try to educate the entire state of New Jersey as fast as possible and get as many people to register to vote. Uh, we have a press conference on Juneteenth, and I did that on purpose to contrast because a lot of people in our community celebrate Juneteenth but never bring up the fact that it's not over and that the fight still needs to continue, uh, that we're not resting easy and celebrating our condition. We must do something to empower, empower ourselves about it. And we're doing it in front of the Lincoln statue just to also give it a visual contrast because it was during Lincoln's time that we had the 13th Amendment. So we've had, uh, I think, about 42 organizations across the state of New Jersey have jumped on board in support. And right now we're in the middle of campaigning. That's where we stand. Well, that's awesome, man. And, you know, I was reading through the bill, and I got down to the statement, and uh, there was something I was wondering about. Because I see that also it happened in Colorado. Uh, they had to put in certain language. Also in Tennessee, they're having to put in certain language. It appears that the biggest concern for the person industry is about whether or not they're going to lose their free labor. So in the statement, it says, uh, currently the state constitution does not include any language concerning slavery or involuntary servitude. The 1776 and 1844 versions of the Constitution also did not include any mention of slavery or involuntary servitude. This amendment adds language to Article I expressly prohibiting slavery and involuntary servitude. Beautiful. The amendment also directly prohibits slavery and involuntary servitude as punishment for a crime. Prisoners in New Jersey are required to engage in labor for minimal pay while they are incarcerated. The state should not have the power to compel individuals to labor against their will. This amendment ensures that no prisoner in the state would be involuntarily forced into labor, even if the labor performed by the prisoner would be compensated. However, this amendment would not take away voluntary opportunities to work for individuals who have been convicted of a crime. The state recognizes that work can, be, can assist in an individual's rehabilitation, improve practical and impersonal skills that may be useful upon their reintegration with society and contribute to healthier and safer penal environments. I like the way that is structured. It's a whole lot different than what they did in Tennessee. Uh, could you tell us uh, about how that part of it came into being? Of course. We, uh, we had a bit of a – that was part of the debate. Um, and again, when Colorado did their campaigning and their fundraising, they were to hire a PR firm and realize that if you bring up the issue of incarceration, it polarizes the argument. And what we want to do is maintain the argument in a neutral fashion because, again, it's a human rights issue. According to international law, slavery is abolished in all of its forms. The United States is out of international compliance. So that was the argument we wanted to push because it was neutral. And to the point, but it does affect um, again, because the Department of Labor and Labor Laws were born from, the, born from the 13th Amendment, meaning that the threshold is minimum wage. The moment you go on the minimum wage, that's technically considered involuntary servitude. Their pay structure would have to change. And we argued 
Well, let's say we at least gave them minimum wage. If we were to add up the money, and there's a, a really cool collective of collective in San Juan, Puerto Rico, where they incorporated a collective of arts. They sell their art, and the, the proceeds go to their family. It gives the gentleman the ability to express themselves, do what they love, and feed their family, give them a sense of manhood. Um, on the other hand, if they're working at whatever rate they're working at, for especially for a private company, it is the people of that state that have to take care of the family that that person left behind. So it is just basically a redistribution of the wealth in a way that when that incarcerated community member can invest their work into something they actually want to do and that they could do so once they're set free, they can continue on that path, and that's what how it should be structured. Okay, so I have a question regarding the statement as well. Just first of all, has this been uh, presented to the Department of Corrections? Have they uh, seen this? Has there been any pushback from them? Well, I have been, you know, <clears throat> promoting for a while. I, again, I think the main vibe that I got was that nobody really understands how this works. So when I do pitch right. it, it kind of goes over people's heads. But when I confront it with the question, do you stand for or against, people are always going to stand for the abolition of it. That's pretty of much course. the encounter I've had. Of course. Yeah, because when you have the sentence, the state should not have the power to compel individuals to labor against their will. You know, down in the prisons, some prisons you get an assigned, you know, assigned uh, work detail. And they're, they're going to be stripped. Like this, this proposes that they're stripped from the ability to assign work details. And a lot of times it's just in jails where, you know, they're, they're either on the, you know, cleanup crew where they're going around, you know, mowing the lawns and shoveling the snow. You know, one thing with New Jersey, they don't have like uh, any industry any statewide industry operating within the prisons, you know, so they, they, they'll, their pushback is going to be, okay, well, we're not doing this, but we don't want to lose the ability to assign work details because this is how we get stuff done at the prisons. Not talking about the kitchen details. Everyone, you know, well, not everyone, but a lot of people want to work in the kitchen. They want to work the law library. They want to work rec. They want to work paint gang you know, commissary, but the ones they don't want to do is 308. 308 is that cl that that detail where in the winter time you're out there shoveling snow, or you're you're raking grass. You know, when it's 20 degrees out there. So I'm just mentioning that because there's going to be some pushback on that, and so you have to be prepared with that as well. The way I see it is that. These are contractual agreements. The same way if I went to go get hired by a company and I signed an employee contract versus if I was an independent contractor and I were to sign such contract. For a building owned by a public entity, like, say, a jail, and all of the services mm -hmm. that have to be performed in such jail, every time an inmate spends money, some of a percentage of that money goes into what's called the Inmate Welfare Trust Fund. Right. In contractual law, that is a trust, that is an entity, is literally equivalent of a nonprofit. The people who manage that nonprofit or that entity or that account are called trustees. 
And what is mm-hmm. a jail worker called in a jail? A trustee. Why? Because trustee. he manages the building. See, we're in a contractual agreement that we didn't understand when we were enrolled into such because our human and civil rights were stripped away. And with prisoners' rights, because the state owns you as property, they have the ability to trade you as a commodity, whether it be for work yep. expended, whether it be to be shipping mm-hmm. you to another county or to another state facility where, where you get bank on right. each bed that you, that you fill, uh, to mm-hmm. the transportation, to everything that has to include what they are. And when we talk about private interests, whether it be communications, and where at some point they were almost charging, I don't know, dollars, like $5 per minute for a phone call to your family, until finally New Jersey caught a conscience a couple of years ago and now lowered the price. But whatever happened to all that money that they paid in initially? Mm-hmm. So here we're saying we understand what these contractual agreements are and that if we understand business and structure, then we can redefine what those relationships are without loss of service, without loss of money, because at the end of the day, it's about where the money's distributed to. It can be just as much distributed to in the actual habilitation of a human being because you can't rehabilitate someone who hasn't been habilitated to begin with. Right. What does it take to habilitate a human being, a roof over their head, food in their belly, clothes on their back, health in their family, love in their family, having a positive community? Those are the major indicators of success. But in our society, we release them. And a 74% chance that they're coming right back into the building. Some of the brothers actually call it going home. Mm-hmm. So we Man, have the ability to restructure. You know, it's just knowing how to do it. Um, I want to make a, a couple of comments, uh, and then I would like you to join us in listening to a message that we got in from Angola Prison, from one of the organizers behind Enemy Lives. The comments I'd like to make is, you know, we reach a, a global audience here, um, and uh, I was just talking to one of our listeners, Anna uh, Gunvidal, from England last night, and it dawned on me, what you're doing right now has global implications. Uh, any nation can put anti-slavery language into their constitution. It doesn't just have to be us, because the prison industry particularly the for-profit private prison industries, are global. So this is a way that we could fight back against them. And also I would advise that you uh, keep close watch on who's getting the money from the pay because we found out that many of the companies, like Starbucks, for instance, who hire uh, prison labor to do their gift bags every year, their gift boxes from Starbucks, they actually pay minimum wage. But they don't pay it to the prisoners. They pay it to the prisons. And the prisons, in turn, keep that money and give pennies on the dollar mm-hmm. to the prisoners. So that's something that we're going to have to watch to see that if they get this increase in their labor uh, payment, will they actually receive it? And speaking of global messages, every now and then we get mail uh, from people who want to tell us what they think about the program and how we're doing. And I wouldn't mind sharing a couple of those messages that came in. Uh, if you don't mind. Uh, you, said, you said you wanted to read one in particular, right? Yeah, this this one is, is uh, entitled Appreciation from Norway. Uh, the person's name is Eleanor Kasperson, and this was received uh, four days ago. It was sent to, uh, sent to us. It says, hello, 
I just want to say that after listening to your podcast, I'm all in tears. The fact that the criminal justice system in America is a huge business that profit rich white men makes me sick. This is pure evil. I am a 28-year-old girl from Oslo, Norway, and I just feel so bad for the injustice so many lives suffer from in America. With the death of George Floyd and the racism in the world coming up the surface with social media as a boosting sound system, my attention came to the legal slavery by the 13th Amendment and the corruption by the old white racist supremacists of the top benefiting from unknowing people's misery diff- different places in the world, but especially in the land of the free, quote unquote. I want to say that I really admire your work. Keep it up. It is so crucially important. I will recommend your podcast to my friends and use my Instagram platform, only 300 followers at the time, though, to speak up about the injustice. If you guys need funding, let me know how I can contribute and also spread the word about that, too. I am not rich, but I am lucky to have been put at this exact place of the planet, and I can definitely share with someone something of what I have. Anyway, thank you so much for educating people. We really need it because they don't teach us in schools. We need the truth. All the best, Eleanor Casperson. We thank you very much for that, Eleanor. I hope you tuned in today or you'll be able to listen to it in a day or two whenever you get around to listening to it. And we have one other short one, Max, that I'll read as well. It's from Avant Oss. It says, Wow, that's a very moving, emotional edit. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate all the work you do. I was actually just listening to your podcast this morning, and I find it very inspiring, enlightening, and revolutionary. I'm just a student in Ohio, and I've done some writing on abolition, but compared to all you've done and keep doing, I am extremely humbled and inspired. Keep on doing what you're doing. Just wanted to say thanks and solidarity, comrade. And that's Avant Oss. He lists himself as a Marxist, Leninist, Maoist, student, artist, musician. Thank you, Avant, for those wonderful words. Amen. Thank you, indeed. All right, so what I'm going to do now is uh, play this clip that we got in from Angola Prison. This is actually part one of two parts. Next week, we'll be talking about the new Jim Crow, because that's what he's focusing on. And that's what he's asking us to pay attention to, that in Louisiana, Mm -hmm. they are still practicing Jim Crow laws within the prison. Uh, About 2018, I believe, uh, the Supreme Court decided that they could no longer convict people in Louisiana with only 10 jurors because it was a 10 and 2 situation, which is unlike anywhere else in the nation. And uh, they overturned that law. But the people who had already been convicted under 10-2 ratios are still in prison, and it's not retroactive, and they're not receiving any kind of justice or new trials or anything because of it. So we're going to listen to this brother. Uh, I'll keep his name anonymous right now because I don't want to put him in danger, uh, but you'll hear it in his own words. Abolition. 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 Uh, first of all, I want to just I want to say that, uh, that I appreciate the opportunity that Max has sent it out for me to appear on that. I'm calling from Angola, Louisiana. Slave plantations better known as uh, our ancestor, where, where we come from, the country Angola and Africa, where it's still a slave plantation 
and it's named after the slave that originally was forced to labor and is still running as a slave plantation. But we're coming to you today and we're not speaking of oppression's uh, issue or issue of oppression. And uh, we're living in a critical moment, a critical situation where all races are striking out, but all races are striking out against injustice. Uh, all races are burning out what's going on, but particularly what we're going on in Louisiana, we're still under Jim Crow law. This needs to be discussed in every narrative or every activist or whatnot that claim to be that they're supporting uh, activism uh, agendas, as you know, or whatnot. They had a system that was built on white supremacists, the United States Supreme Court just uh, ruled on in the Ramos versus the state of Louisiana, where it made it mandatory, where we're afforded a right to unanimous vertical or not. Louisiana built this structure in 1896 or not, based on white supremacists. It was not. It's blatantly stated in the doctrine that we're creating this to silence the black folk. And data have now been collected showing that it, uh, the law disproportionately affects African-American like every other negative statistical or not. But we come here tonight, we're asking uh, to you to share the contents because uh, you want a primal face of showing of racist supremacists. Just look at right here in Louisiana. Louisiana, the state confederate state, Dixon. And it's still relevant as it was back then when we were forced to drink out the color water fountains. And we just, we just changed the name, but it's still the same game. So we're just asking you to share the contents. And if, say, if you're not in Louisiana, you can just you can share it. And we're telling you to look at the things that's going well, whether it's the corona uh, pandemic that's going on where you got brothers sleeping in close perimeters or whatnot and dropping like flies. And we're just asking you, Robert Goodell or whatnot, the NFL Association, said he doesn't support white, uh, white oppression, a systematic uh, oppression of colored people, of brown people. We want to tell them to take his money out of, out of New Orleans. Take their money, vote on it. If you're not supporting it, I mean you're not supporting their agendas or whatnot. During the Civil Rights Act, that's one thing that we was able to do, boycott. Those things are relevant today, more relevant today than it was back then because we could communicate just by the tap of the dial. I see I talked to the supporters before I appeared on the show. They say, what this exactly you're trying to accomplish? I said, well, I believe that this is the time. This is the proper time for the people to get up and acknowledge that you have hundreds and thousands of black brothers and poor, whether they're white or whatnot, that, that suffers under Jim Crow law. That's what it is, and there's no way of looking around it or whatnot. The Louisiana Supreme Court uh, uh, Chief Justice, and she had to sue to get up there. She had to sue to just get in that seat because of the gerrymandered laws that they got on the book that makes it where Louisiana black population are not being well representatively or whatnot. You have lawyers that represent the oil industry. Well, now we have a governor, well, uh, Mama Glue. Uh, this woman was stuck in, uh, stuck right now and went in the Tuskegee overnight, and she's uh, been in jail, one of the longest serving prisoners it is in the nation, in jail. She's asking contracted corona, was sitting in an ICU, and the governor refused to sign a pardon that had been already signed, okay to go. But you have all these wealthy and rich pedophiles getting out, and this woman is left to die, but he claims he's a, he's a Catholic. He's, 
claim he's a Catholic and this one or whatnot. And we just asking all of the establishment, we need you to post whatever you're saying, you're listening to this show. I mean, that you can share the content, which you, we, I know you're listening to it, but we, we, we could build off of this. So, so I'm just happy to be a part of this wonderful movement. And we need to let everybody know that Louisiana is still under Jim Crow law. They got hundreds of thousands of brothers that have died. You still got thousands of brothers that still, these, this law still affects, so they're all getting about the retroactivity aspect. We want to get a shout out to all the organizations that support us, especially both. They're on the front line. We want to give a, a shout out to the Primate Justice Initiative. We want to get a shout out to Solitary. And we want to give a shout out to Louisiana Network for Criminal Justice Transformation. And you can go online and all the contents will be on there to see the next action. But we're just simply asking you to share the contents of every time you wake up. This is when you, you would have reminded me. And we're working on building an app where we can make it more accessible to remind you when you're on these various social media platforms or whatnot. And that's one thing that makes us different than the previous generation. We got the ability where we can speak across the world because we're in a serious, a serious mood. We're in a serious critical stage or whatnot, or white supremacists is blatantly. People are getting murdered on the street, but they're getting lynched. That's what that was. That's what that was, Floyd, Brother Floyd. He was lynched. He was lynched. It's no more different than what, what they was doing in the 60s and the 70s and the 40s. But well, right now, we the whole world can see or whatnot. So we want to we give props to all of the countries and other and the other nations or whatnot that stand in the solidarity. But we want to talk about the Pacifics. That's what so much we got the brother, the Mario Davis. He's a he's a linebacker for the Saints. He speaks for the Thirteenth Amendment. There's two different things to speaking generally on issues, but specifically on issues, and that's what we need to do because it's just like a trial. When you go to trial, you're able to bring the evidence, and we're bringing the evidence that Louisiana is still under Jim Crow, and just like the gay rights movement when they was they was banning uh, same sex in, in, in North Carolina or not the NBA, NFL, and everybody criticized them. And, Put their money out them, but I want to know uh, we're being violated. Our equal protection laws are being violated because we're United States citizens. However, we're not. We don't have the rights of a citizen. No different than going to go, going to a dinner. I go to a dinner. You're not you're not providing me a meal, so I'm not at the dinner. So we're not United States citizens. We're not providing the same rights that everybody else. Every everything. Just think if we was a Go and tell a white family and tell a white family that, that you have three white newborn babies and you go to the mother in the fall and you tell them you got one out of three got a chance to be incarcerated. It'll be a, a national crisis, a world crisis if this was happening to the white community. No different than, 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 than the opium epidemic that's going on or whatnot. Right now it's a crisis, but you had a hell on and everything else still floating in the community. It's not a crisis because we were in effect. We're tired of singing the same old songs every time and they have the same old politicians or fake leaders that get in the way or whatnot. We need new leadership, new leadership, and, and it's coming or whatnot. The most beautiful thing in all this movement is, 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 is multiracial. It has all races from all across the country because they're, they're tired of the United States saying what you in the United States and you treat your citizens or whatnot. So right now we know one thing in every revolution you have one thing in common, financial hardship, and right now the United States in financial hardship and you have every race that's screaming out because they know that they could be next.
because you see what we're doing, we're shaking the world, and we're not going to stop. So I want to just say that I appreciate being able to represent the brothers that's behind the enemy line, and we look forward to you. And I say solidarity or not. Power to the people, black power. Abolition. 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 No doubt. Uh, he was talking about the 122 years of Jim Crow that has been going on in Louisiana, which is the prison capital of the entire world. Um, and he was also mentioning things like trying to explain to your children, if you got three new more babies, boys, you're going to tell one of them they're going to prison. How is that going to work? And there's so many suffering there right now. Of course, the racism is beyond belief in a place where black people make up somewhere around 30-ish percent of the population, but close to 80% of the prison population. So you brothers, if you want to comment on anything that was being said there or offer any uh, commentary, just feel free. You know, I just want to focus on just for those who want to know, the case that he was referring to is Ramos versus Louisiana. It was decided on it was filed back in 2018 but it was it was uh the decision was made April 20th of 2020 and some of the key points that were in the uh in the decision it mentioned that Louisiana adopted non-unanimous verdicts for serious crimes in 1898 at a constitutional convention expressly intended to establish the supremacy of the white race and to ensure that African-American jurist service would be meaningless. And they also pointed out that Oregon adopted non-unanimous verdicts in the 1930s during the rise of the KKK in efforts to dilute the the influence of racial, ethnic, and religious minorities on Oregon juries. And also at the time of this decision, 14 other states filed amicus curiae briefs, which is meaning, you know, friend of the court, meaning they're not, a, they're not a party to the case. And they expressed within their briefs that they would value the right to experiment with non-unanimous jurors. So even at that time, you had 14 other states that were looking to come up with non-unanimous verdicts. So that's how important that decision was that the court made, that although it covered two states, it really was 16 states that wanted to join in on this. But we definitely thank the brother for, you know, the information. You know, I'm glad I get to speak to him behind the scenes. And, you know, there's going to be more things that we're going to be working with him on in the future. You can find this information on our page at Abolition Today and read it for yourself. And also shout out to Rebecca Hensley at the Louisiana Network for Criminal Justice Transformation, who is leading the charge and helping these uh, brothers to be able to find their way to freedom. For the dentist, would you like to comment on anything that you heard? He may be muted, Max. Let me see. Yeah, totally, I forgot that I had him muted. Hold on. Yeah, and, and, I, and I wasn't even on that page. But Dennis, you're unmuted now. Sorry about that, brother. All right. Uh, in my work, I usually vibe with energy, you know, and you can hear pain in brother's voice, you know, that, it's hard for people to really understand what's going on unless you've actually been in it. You know, when you're in the belly of the beast, and for me it was more magnified when I started to go into juvenile detention centers when we see our babies in these cages. And I wish people could understand the urgency 
and the feeling and the desperation that a lot of our people are going through, a lot of our men and women behind bars. The only way we're going to get them to an understanding is that people have empathy and compassion. The issue of criminalizing people and removing them from their humanity is the same way we do with addicts, the same way we do with homeless, the same way we do with other every other forgotten element of our society. And if we want change, we have to start looking at everybody like human beings. And I know that if we acknowledge their pain, there's no reason why we wouldn't be moved to come to a solution. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Thank you very much. Uh, Max, it appears someone raised their hand. I don't know if we're taking callers now or if we're going to wait till later. Uh, you know, it might be uh, one of Dennis's people. So if they want to say something to him, let's give him an opportunity. So uh, we're going to okay, bring you uh, in. I see your hand up in 646. Uh, 646, you are now on Abolition Today. Uh, if you have a question or comment, uh, please state your name and provide a question or comment. Hold up. This is Tony Crane. Oh, peace. Hey, Tony, how's it going? Um, uh, how's everyone doing? How's everyone doing? Peace, great, everyone. Great, great. Um, peace. I, I caught that brother's uh, message, and I was moved, brother. Like, I mean, there aren't enough people that realize that places like Louisiana, you know, <laughs> the Jim Crow ever never didn't exist. You know what I mean? It's still going on. We're, it's it's crazy out here, um, and getting the truth out there is paramount. As you guys always, always, you know, um, promote, and I'm I'm doing the same. Always trying to uh, inform people, you know, talking to my brother who's locked up now, telling people what I went through, which I've never, I've never. Uh, I've never vocalized on the show, but um, I agree with with everything he said that uh, we need to get this more, get more people. Slavery abolition is uh, it, it, it's the main the main it's the main issue right now. As far as I'm concerned, there's no point in people speaking about prison reform or policies and all of this and that. And what are we going to do about the Thirteenth Amendment? Right. Thank, Thank you. you very much. For did you have a question for Brother Dennis, by the way? Um, actually, no. I'm I'm listening. You know what I mean. I'm I'm really just drinking all of this in tonight, Max. It's been a while since I've been able to catch the show, and I'm I, I want to be. I just want to be a listener tonight. <laughs> all right, brother. I appreciate you. Uh, we're gonna uh, set you on the couch for a minute there, and uh, if you have anything else to say, just raise your hand later on. All right. Absolutely. Yes, indeed. I'm going to sit here and listen, and then I'll just gather my thoughts, put some notes down. All right. Nice. Peace, brother. Tony Craig. Um, Anything to add to that, uh, fellas? I'd like to add just for, um, for the sake of coming to action planning. Uh, when I started organizing in New Jersey, I found out about Colorado. I do happen to be part of a fraternity. Lambda Sigma from Latino Fraternity Incorporated. We are in uh, a lot of our brothers in Denver, so I reached out to them to get a hold of the leaders in Colorado. I, met, I flew over there. I met with them. I recorded them uh, to try to catalog what was happening, you know, just to look at people who came together with an idea that sounded crazy but actually got it done. 
So when we came back to Jersey, we were all amped up. We moved how we had to move. And as we've been building for the past year with Colorado, because they've been helping us with campaign material, um, action planning, they already paid uh, for that specific strategy. Now we're in the process of nationalizing. We're having our second national call. We have 11 states on board. The more states that jump on board, they're going to be able to use the material that the other states had already used according to how we classify whether or not Slavery is mentioned or not mentioned, legal or illegal, and involuntary servitude as to whether it's mentioned, legal or illegal. Depending on that arrangement, those states will have the same exact campaigns. If brothers and sisters from those states come together, as we're doing here in New Jersey, we're forming committees on all the actions that need to get taken to get there, plus national support, because we're calling it now the Abolish Slavery National Network, where now we all have access to the same resources. And if the plan of action is not that difficult, all it really takes is some connections. And like I mentioned before, the moment we throw it up for vote, I guarantee you, unless they want to come out their face and show that they're racist, which is good to know, and who in, opposition, who in positions of power are behaving and thinking that way, but guarantee like Colorado, and I'm a guarantee here in New Jersey, they're going to vote in the affirmative. All we need to do is push it to that referendum and then it'll be on the community to campaign and educate each other, register to vote, and hit those polls. And there's no reason we couldn't do it like Colorado did. And that's every state to stand up. Amen, brother. Amen. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, do have a, I do like to make, I would like to make two comments. One, uh, the national conference call that he just mentioned, you said that myself will also be on that call. So, Gonna have some abolitionists heavy up in this call, man. Uh, yeah, and hopefully man. we can take some kind of sanity in this world, in this country, by having these discussions. Um, also, I would like to know if you could provide us, so we can uh, share it with others. The, I guess it's a package that you had on how to bring this. Uh, I'm sure you keep notes on how you've done it, and you probably got a package already set up. So if you have something like that, would you uh, be able to provide it to us so we can? Also share it with our uh, members and uh, listeners. That is absolute, absolutely. Thank you very much, brother. Thank you very much. Great. Um, Yusuf, was there more that you want to add? No, not right now because we have a lot to cover and we have limited time, so we can we can keep the train moving. All right. Well, I have been putting some of the links up on abolition today in regards to the states, including Colorado, who are making these movements to remove the pro-slavery language from their state constitution. But right now we have a new tool in our tool set, courtesy of Brother Dennis Thiebaud. Uh You don't have to have uh, pro-slavery language in your state constitution in order to put anti-slavery language into your state constitution. And that would limit Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the problems that we have today in regards to the 13th Amendment, where people can now challenge slave-like conditions in court. Uh, Many times when they take these uh, issues to court, the courts use the 13th Amendment specifically in order to deny them uh, the ability to sue uh, for damages or to see their cases overturned. So this is really a, a very powerful tool now that we'll be able to use as abolitionists, but courtesy of brother uh, representing out of New Jersey at this moment. Indeed, brother. All right. Well, yeah, that's um, huge. We, go ahead, Yusuf. 
No, I was just going to say that's huge. That was it. <laughs> yeah, that's my that's co-sign to what you just said. I'm going to start using it tomorrow. <laughs> uh, I got a, a brother here in South Carolina, uh, Jamal, uh, who is the leader and organizer of one of the largest Juneteenth festivals in the country, right here in South Carolina. And he's also an abolitionist, and he's been trying to figure out how we can do something about South Carolina. So here's your tool, brother. We can do this in South Carolina and other states as well, like right. Florida. And I asked me last night, what can Florida do? Florida doesn't have an exception clause in their state constitution. Well, here's what Florida can do. Man, you don't open up a can of worms, Dennis. I'm trying to tell you, brother. You then gave the painter a brush. Yeah. For, <laughs> what for you real. Using? That's, that's a roadmap. It's a roadmap. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you know, to be since in California is so open. Sorry, brother. I didn't mean to step on your toes there. Go ahead. Now, you got it, brother. No, no, no. Go ahead, brother. All right. Well, let me no, get that. To when we actually yes, get to please. the action, uh-huh. when we get to the mm-hmm. action, we actually, we, it's not that complicated. But the, the, the real part of it is the networking. And that's what I'm seeing now. Because I've done so much work on the ground, I would assume, like the brother you're speaking about, he's able to pull all of those organizations together and get them to stand. The list that we have now, and I started it yesterday, is at 42 organizations around the state of New Jersey, including national organizations, because the NAACP already stands on this nationally. Uh, Black Lives Matter already stands on this nationally. So we already have national support, just not including the people that are coming together on the call. But that when you get to the actual strategy, if your network and the right people are in place, there's no reason you couldn't push this to a vote. Right. Yeah, there's no reason. But there will be opposition, and you know there's going to be opposition. In Colorado, the first time that they tried this, it was uh, Amendment T, I think was the first one, right? And there was uh, stories that were put out basically by the prison industry telling people if they removed this exception clause from their state constitution, it would allow all the prisoners to go free, including murderers and rapists and things like that. So literally it scared people, and that's how they failed the first time. But the second time around, they were much more clear as you're being with yours, and that allowed them to pass. So uh, definitely clarity helps because you're going to have opposition uh, because the prison industry of today is what you might call too big to fail. It's, uh, by our estimates, uh, around a half a trillion dollars a year is generated in revenue here. And they don't want to see that disappear, particularly with the prison labor. Um, prison labor is a big issue with over a million people working inside the prisons right now. Uh, most of them work for an average of about 11 cents an hour. In places like Alabama, they get three cents an hour. Before that, they were getting nothing. Congress had to vote to give them 40 cents an hour. So this is definitely going to make a big impact. And, again, you can check our page out, Abolition Today, and you'll see all of this information we're speaking of provided right there for you uh, for your research. Well, uh, so far we're doing good, man. I really appreciate the information that we uh, have heard and uh, listening to, and uh, I want to fulfill a promise that I made to the brother who sent us uh, this audio. And he asked me if we could play a song for him today, and that song would be Dead Prez Propaganda. So I want to play that song for him, and then when we come back on the other side, we'll continue the conversation. You're listening to Abolition Today. We'll be right back. Let me now turn to our program for the future. 
economy right now. It's extremely supporting of the president and his policy. FBI scientists have found chemical traces consistent with a bomb or a missile on a piece of wreckage. Police using clubs and tear gas against demonstrators. So and so and a white fascist. Like they said, you're getting some of your own medicine. You can't fool all the people all of the time, but if you fool the right one, then the rest will fall behind. Tell me who got control of your mind, your worldview, is it the news or the movie you taking your girl to, uh, know what I'm saying, cause Uncle Sam got a plan, if you examine what they telling us, then you will understand what they planting in the seeds of the next generation, feeding our children miseducation, no one knows if there's UFOs or any life on Mars, or what they doing when they up in the stars, because I don't believe a word of what the president said, he's filling our head with lies, got us hypnotized when he be speaking in cold words about crime and poverty, drugs, welfare, prisons, guns, and robbery, it really means us, there's no excuse for the slander, but what's good for the group, is still good for the gander, see, I don't believe Rob Marley Johnson can't talk, 31 years ago, I would have been a pastor, they killed Huey cause they knew he had to answer, the views that you see in the news is propaganda, NBC. 
love and a great understanding and that we try to extend this to the general uh, uh, black population and also people, oppressed people all over the world. And I think that uh, we differ from um, uh, some other groups simply because we understand the system better than uh, uh, most uh, groups understand the system. And uh, with this realization, uh, we attempted to form a strong political base based in the community with the only strength that we have, and that's the strength of a, a potentially destructive force if we don't get freedom. That was Dead Prince propaganda. Oh, man, right on time. Juneteenth mm-hmm. right around the corner. You know, every time I hear some news reporter get on and talk about how Juneteenth was the end of slavery, it is like fingernails on a chalkboard in my mind, man. You know, we work so hard to try to explain to people, as Dennis said, teaching people that slavery is not over. It was never abolished. It's still in effect through this system of prison that we have. And here we are every day hearing somebody tell us now that slavery ended in 1866 when the soldiers showed up in Galveston, Texas to inform the last slaves that they were no longer slaves. How do you feel about that, uh, Dennis? Yeah, it's a little disheartening, uh, especially for the past couple of years because, you know, I'm Puerto Rican from Brooklyn, so I'm a little bit loudmouthed. <laughs> so, so uh, I have challenged uh, elders who, you know, promote these events. And, it, you know, it's not even really inclusive of our youth population. It's not really, from what I've seen here, uh, community-based. It's always the same group of people. And it seems to me that there is a true lack of understanding as to why. You know, and we've been fed these things. I mean, we're having the same battles with Christopher Columbus and whether or not uh, we should honor the statues being taken down or not. Like, a lot of our people are misinformed. None of our educational structures cater to this information, of course, because, you know, uh, the less we know, the easier it is to maintain the system. But I think these times now, I think we're all waking up, especially our youth, the youth that I've seen out in these streets organizing and protesting. We have a real powerful generation coming up. I think that a lot of the elders should stop and listen. Uh, we should honor their process. We should guide and support them. And I think they're going to be the ones to lead us to freedom. Well said, man. That was well said. And what you said in the uh, yeah, end was sort of even. Boy, brother. Continue, Yusuf. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, I, I listened to Dave Chappelle. You know, it's eight minutes. You know, it's his, his – uh, his performance, so I don't want to even call it performance, his speech, 846. And he basically said that towards it. And he's like, why, do he, why does he need to get out there? The streets are doing the talking right now. And that just, that that goes right along with what Dennis just said, you know, that the youth are just out there, they're active. They're actively participating. And they're not just sitting around being, you know, keyboard revolutionaries. You know, armchair revolutionaries, as my brother Kamal Imani would say. You know, they're not armchair revolutionaries. They're out there actually really, you know, trying to put forth the effort because they know that that effort is going to pay off with change. 
that's the brother from Angola Prison was saying as well. We need new leadership, and our new leadership is rising right now. They don't trust the old guard because uh, the old guard let all of this happen and acted like they never saw anything. Right. They didn't know anything. And if you didn't know anything, then you're not capable of leading. And we need new leadership, and the new leadership is certainly rising right now. And speaking of the propaganda again, uh, you know, we always have these arguments about good cops, bad cops, which blows my mind because I've never heard anybody of Jewish descent talk about whether or not somebody was a good Nazi or a bad Nazi. But we hear what the cops are doing, and we see them with our own eyes right now. Like uh, Brother Baldwin has said, James Baldwin, I can't believe what you say because I see what you do. And we've seen police uh, quitting en masse in support of the officers who were fired, uh, what was that, out in Minnesota. We've seen New York Police Department refusing to attend courts, forcing people mm-hmm. uh, to stay in prisons and jails because they are not able to get into courts and have uh, their day. And even the Philadelphia Police Union called the Black Lives Matter movement rabid dogs. So this is how they're looking at us. When I did that uh, presentation that we heard in the very beginning, one of the things I realized is that they see us as the tyrants, which is why in that it said sit semper tyrannis. We're the tyrants to them. To them, we're taking away their rights, their rights to be superior, to control everything. And they're, they're, they're so upset about it that it leads to them wanting to murder us now for 400 years, the same type of thing. So we're the tyrants to white supremacists. Isn't that something? Uh, Any commentary on that, brothers? Nothing needs to be said on top of that, man. You you hit the nail on the head. So I'm not even going to add to it. Dennis, anything? I'm on that, too. That was perfect. (laughs) All right. What I want to do is, because today we are remembering the martyrs of a movement, and I want to take some time for us to call out the names of those who were murdered during the civil rights movement. This is not in no way, shape, or form a complete list, but these are names that have probably never been mentioned since the day that they died. So the three of us are going to take this opportunity to remember them. I'll start it out and do the first ten. Okay. Dennis, like can you see the list? Yes, I see the list. Does he have access to the list? Yes, I sent it to him. Oh, okay. Yes, I have it. All right. I'll start out. Reverend George Lee, May 7th, 1955, Belzoni, Mississippi. Lamar Smith, 1955, Brookhaven, Mississippi. Emmett Till, August 28th, 1955, Money, Mississippi. John Earl Reese, October 22nd, 1955, Mayflower, Texas. William Edwards, Jr., January 23, 1957, Montgomery, Alabama. Mac Charles Parker, April 25, 1959, Poplarville, Mississippi. Herbert Lee, my son's namesake, September 25, 1961, Liberty, Mississippi. Corporal Roman Duxworth, Jr., April 8, 1961, Taylorville, Mississippi. Paul Giard, September 30, 1962. Oxford, Mississippi. And lastly on my list, William Lewis Moore, April 23rd, 1963, Batalia, Alabama. Yusuf? Medgar Evers, 
June 12, 1963, Jackson, Mississippi. Addie Mae Collins, Denise McNair, Carol Robinson, Cynthia Wesley, Virgil Lamar Ware, Johnny Robinson. September 15, 1963, Birmingham, Alabama. Lewis Allen, January 31, 1964, Liberty, Mississippi. Johnny May Chapel, March 23, 1964, Jacksonville, Florida. Reverend Bruce Clunder, April 7, 1964, Cleveland, Ohio. Henry Hezekiah D. And Charles Eddie Moore, May 2nd, 1964, Meadville, Mississippi. James Earl Cheney, Andrew Goodman, Michael Schwerner, June 21st, 1964, Philadelphia, Mississippi. Lieutenant Colonel Lemuel Penn, July 11th, 1964, Colbert, Georgia. El Haj Malik El Shabazz, Malcolm X. February 21st, 1965. Jimmy Lee Jackson, February 26, 1965, Marion, Alabama. Brother Dennis? I will do the remaining six. Reverend James Reeb. Reverend James Reeb, Reeb, March 11th, 1965, Selma, Alabama. Viola Greg Liuzzo, March 25th, 1965, Zelma Highway, Alabama. <clears throat> O'Neill Moore, June 2nd, 1965, Bogalusa, Louisiana. Willie Brewster, July 18th, 1965, Aniston, Alabama. Jonathan Merrick Daniels, August 20th, 1965, Haydenville, Alabama. Samuel Lehman Young, Jr., January 3rd, 1966, Tuskegee, Alabama. January 10th, I'm sorry, Vernon Ferdinand Dahmer, January 10th, 1966, Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Ben Chester White, June 10th, 1966, Natchez, Mississippi. And Clarence Triggs, July 30th, 1966, Bogalusa, Louisiana. And we have, finish off yeah, we have just a couple of more. Uh, yes, I'll finish, I, I'll finish off the list. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Wallace Jackson, Wallace Jackson, February 27, 1967, Natchez, Mississippi. Benjamin Brown, May 12, 1967, Jackson, Mississippi. Samuel Ephesians Hammond, Jr., Delano Herman Middleton, and Henry Ezekiel Smith, February 8, 1968. Orangeburg, South Carolina. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., April 4th, 1968, Memphis, Tennessee. Robert James Bobby Hutton, April 6th, 1968, West Oakland, California. Chairman Fred Hampton, December 4th, 1969, Chicago, Illinois. And last, Samuel Ephesians Hammond, Jr. Well, I actually have those twice in there, right? So that was the last one, Chairman Fred Hampton. No, 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 no. These, these, uh, these are similar names. It's not the same people, though. Okay. Well, the last one will be Samuel Fusion Hammond, Jr., Delano Herman Middleton, Henry Ezekiel Smith, 3rd, 1970, Kent State University, Ohio. We say these names to remember their sacrifice and to remind us that we didn't 
start this battle. We're just the latest ones in it, and we stand on the shoulders of giants and people who have sacrificed everything for this fight. It didn't begin with us, but it may end with us. So uh, we say their names in reverence and honor and pray that they look down upon us and lend us our, the strength that we need as our ancestors. Amen. Amen, Amen. to that. Yeah. This, this and, you know, I'm so looking long. at this list, and I mean, you know, for every one name, we probably can add a hundred names to it. And that still right. wouldn't even cover it. It wouldn't even cover it. Mm-mm-mm. You know, one of the other things that I have been asked to remind, uh, to remember ourselves and to remind people about another issue is the issue of life without parole which is basically a death sentence, uh, telling people that they'll right. never see civilization again. They'll spend the rest of their lives in prison no matter what it is that they do or how they change, and that is certainly a death sentence. So we just want to let uh, our listeners know, keep those in mind who have been sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And many of those men and women are innocent sitting in there for the rest of their lives. All right. Well, uh, the team, what I want to take at this point is to give Brother Dennis Febo an opportunity to uh, first let us know and the listeners know what it is we can do to help. Uh, how can we support what you're doing? And also, if you could give us uh, contact information where we can reach out to you. And finally, I would like to open the door for you to come back anytime you'd like as a guest and join us in these types of conversations. Absolutely. Much appreciated, my brothers. So to help out right now, um, and I, this is why I kind of been launching it, is the, t- the, the, the time is right right now. And while things mm-hmm. are kind of making it last because Atlanta yesterday, you know, things started to die down and now things are back up again. I mean, the injustices are only going to keep rising, right? And and everything is much more evident. We have to be more careful as a community to guard our emotional state. Um, and I know it's hard, especially when you turn on the news, we get bombarded over and over and over. I know everyone's seen the articles come out that they're actually doctoring some of this footage to basically get a specific rise out of you, right? And we have to be very cautious of our energy because it takes this energy in order to put the work that we have to put in. If I have to sidetrack, then it's going to be harder for us to get the job done. Now what we can do and what I'm actually pushing on on my side of the campaigning, me personally, is trying to get bigger names to start bringing this stuff up. We have a lot of entertainers out there that are running their mouth about justice reform or running their mouth about certain things, but nobody's talking about abolition. So we, as a community, can start holding ourselves accountable and making sure that we start checking people to make sure that they're including that as part of the dialogue. That should be first. And everything, I mean, as a matter of fact, most of the social ills would be eliminated off the bat once we pass this and we're able to try this in court. Because the fight to go through the state and achieve it in the written constitution isn't going to necessarily push anything until we get ready to fight it in court. And that's evident with Colorado. They've passed it. It's been two years, but it hasn't really had an actual impact yet because we need to set the precedent in court. So you're also going to need legal strategy in your state. If you can get civil rights attorneys or any other attorneys 
who are down for the cause and want to help interpret the language of your state, want to help you figure out what is the actual legislative process to get there, then that would be it. So campaigning on social media, making sure that we assign everything to the Times, and because a lot of the conversation in all of the cities are leading to lists of demands, and we have to make sure that whoever's organizing those demands makes sure that abolition is number one on that list. Right, and from there we can start talking about reform. So there is a Facebook page, Amend the 13th New Jersey. Eventually we're going to all get more organized because this is, again, a lot of us are starting from scratch. I started from scratch getting some assistance from Colorado. But, again, as more states start to jump on, you guys are going to already have the model in front of you. There's not much you got to do but follow the script and do the work, and there's no reason you couldn't get it up to a vote. So in Amendment 13, New Jersey, on Facebook, what I'm doing is categorizing committees. We have the social media, street teams, media relations, the arts, very, very important. I did this with the event last year. I called all the artists in the area. I called them into a meeting. I said, we're going to all contribute one piece of art to the cause, and that led to a four-hour event. And it was one of the most beautiful events we've seen, and we got a lot of praise for that event. The house. We've educated a lot of people, especially a lot of leadership in our community on this strategy, and we're more on point with everybody moving as one unit, right? So eventually it'll catch steam. And as it catches steam, you need the ability to organize structure, which really entails business ethics and dealings, right? How do I organize a structure to make sure that when people are coming in, because this is the main problem with volunteering and support. I'll call a I'll call a community service. A hundred people show up. I tell ten what to do, and the other ninety just stand there, collecting quote unquote community service hours. They won't show up the second time, because they didn't have a role and they didn't have a purpose. So whichever organizational structure or collaborative of organizations, you have to make sure that you have some kind of structure in place. So as people start to join the fight, you have the ability to give them a role, so that they can become active. Whether, and the beauty of it is to allow people to use their own natural gifts, whether it be computer graphics, whether it be singing a song and seeing uh, anything you could think of. If that is their passion, it can be applied to movement. Um, and lastly, I say, you know, just document everything. Make sure that all correspondence that you're having with, as you're campaigning and as you're dealing with a certain leadership and officials, just keep your correspondence because, we also can't, we want to be realistic and say, hey, we might lose the fight this time around. But if that's the case, now we have the ability to apply pressure because we know where they stand. And now, like Malcolm X says, you know, the fox and the wolf, at least I know who I'm dealing with. And that's what's going on now. There's so many people that are kind of siding with, oh, I kind of agree with what that cop did, right? Some people might, that you never believe, and we all seen it on social media, the same thing with Trump. People are just coming out their colors, and a lot of us are stunned that it's our family members, it's our neighbors, it's our colleagues, and now that that fight has become a little arduous because now you have to sift through all of the people around you to figure out who is actually really about it. But again, at the end of the day, my litmus test is if they stand with abolition. My litmus test is that they end slavery. If that's on their platform, then I know they're real. And I love that I got that from Brother Max because that's going to be my next check on everybody that comes to the table. We have to believe <laughs> and we have to understand that mm-hmm. we have a voice. And I see that a lot in our community. You stand in a governmental room 
and they have a podium that's higher than you, and a lot of our people cower because they're too scared. We have to learn that Mm -hmm. these are human beings. If you were sitting in that podium and 100 people walked in that room, you'd get intimidated too. So we can't go walking around believing that the system is the way it is. There's nothing we can do about it. I tell people all the time, it's not what it is, it's what we make it. And if we're going to sit, lay down and die and not actually fight and just keep talking about the issue, and this is what we're pushing everybody that's moving right now, if you can't just be out there talking about the issue. If you haven't made one action or contributed anything to movement, then you might, might as well just sit down and let people who are going to do the work step up and do it. On top of the fact that most of the people that end up doing the work don't look like you. And we have to start understanding how to bridge coalitions because this applies to every single population. The 13th Amendment affects the fact that they're still splitting our families at the border, putting little kids in cages, molesting them by the thousands because they don't have human rights in the law. This applies to all of us. And it's not just one color issue. It's not one nation, uh, based on nationalities. This is a human issue that we all need to stand on. And as long as we assert that, and recognize who we are on this earth and hold your feet to the ground with no fear, there's no reason that we couldn't tackle this beast and get it done. Amen to that, brother. Amen to that. I'm sorry. For for New Jersey or for anyone wishing to get in contact with you, how can they get in contact with you? If you're down for this fight, again, amend the 13th. New Jersey on Facebook. Um, we are the we are starting. So I got the young bucks doing the social media stuff because I don't have patience for okay. it. Okay. So they're starting up <laughs> all the pages with Twitter, Instagram. They've already linked it. So they just started maybe a couple of days ago. But the main okay. uh, platform I've been using has been Facebook. So if you want in the Facebook Amendment Thirteenth, like you on the left hand side, there's a menu, and there it says files. If you click files, you'll see whether it be a logo whether it be a press statement, whatever you think you need is in there. All you got to do is change the name of the state and put your own state name on it. There you go. Do you Um, have any upcoming events that you want to let the people know about? Again, we're going to rally on Juneteenth in front of the uh, Lincoln Statue in Jersey City. For anybody that's in New Jersey, this is a press conference. We have NJ.com, Telemundo and a couple of local media outlets that are coming, and the point is to make an official announcement that the state of New Jersey is full on board with all 42 organizations, which I know that that list is going to keep growing. Um, we are, we would have another event, but right now everything's dependent on COVID and the, and the congregating standards, but if things do open up before November, we are definitely going to have another big event like we had last year. The venue has already been offered again. So uh, keep your eyes open, especially if you join the Amendment 13, New Jersey. Again, it's open to anybody. I mean, I do grant permission to come in because I'm trying to weed who's coming into the group. But if I can recognize that you are really about the cause, I'll let you in. And all you have to do, you have access to the files. If not, just reach out directly to me. If you Google my name, Dennis Febo, you'll see my company, Guasabara Insights LLC. Guasabara means warrior in Arawak or Taino, Caribe. And... Um, and there's all my contact information, company contact, uh, all my social media. Everything's listed on Google. All you have to do is Google my name, Dennis Febo. Thank you for that. Uh, thank you so much, brother. Thank you so much for being here with us tonight. As I said, the door is open. Anytime you want to come and join us or share information, 
just let us know and you can come in any time. Uh, we'll do whatever we can, and we'll be working with you in the coming months and potentially years. Uh, Yusuf, I have a technical problem. My computer is acting like a fool, so I can't see anything on it right now. Uh, so we're coming up on our final two segments. One is our final comments and news we couldn't cover, and then, of course, after that is our Bridging the Gap series where uh, Ozzy Davis reads Frederick Douglass, and we're up to part 13 of that, and uh, it's going to be a very insightful uh, clip from Brother Frederick Douglass tonight, as well as the music that will follow it afterwards. And I hope, uh, Dennis, that you will continue to listen to the rest of the program with us uh, as we finish it up. Um, we'll be here for you, brother. And after the program, maybe Absolutely. Monday, let's have another conversation uh, prior to Juneteenth, and we'll start going from there. I'll be looking for that package from you as well so we can start getting that out to our people so they can get this done in other states. Right. I want to say it was a, a really, uh, I really love bridging with elders. You know, I, I, I try to soak up as much information. I know you guys have been doing the work for a long time, and I honor you and your process, and I'm very appreciative that we were able to build in me, and for sure this will be a lifelong friendship, and anytime you need me, I'm here. Word. Appreciate Word. that, brother. I, I'm going to be I'll be sending you an invite to come out to South Carolina when we uh, have our grand opening of the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center. The only thing stopping us right now is the pandemic. So once we get uh, in a safe point, we'll definitely be bringing you out so you can speak with our people out here as well. All right, Brother Yusuf, as I said, my computer's acting like a fool, so we're in the segment of news we couldn't cover. And one of the things that I did want to mention is the number of people who have been choked to death by police. There's at least five other cases that have been coming out uh, of people being murdered by police. Uh, I think four of them were chokes, and the last one was uh, a brother shot in the back just a couple of days ago out in Atlanta, Georgia. So, Yusuf, you want to cover those issues and uh, whatever news we didn't get a chance to cover? Sure. Also, so, of course, the hot topic right now is, is the Atlanta police fatal sh fatally shoot black man in the back at Wendy's. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with it, the gentleman was out with his girlfriend or his wife, and she drove him to his car, and he, his car was parked at the uh, Wendy's. So he got in his car and went to sleep. You know, the police come to the car, and they wake him up. You know, and get him out the vehicle. And of course, you know, anytime we know that the police interact with, especially a black man, you know, they're looking to make an arrest. So they ask him all kinds of questions. I never hear them read him his rights. They ask him very leading questions that are trying to incriminate him, you know, trying to make him say that he had been driving, asking him how many drinks he had had kept asking him the same questions over and over again, trying to trap him. One officer even said that you scared me there sleeping. You know, as I say, just his mere presence being there sleeping was scary. And so it came down to him blowing, blowing into, you know, taking the, the, the breathalyzer, blowing into it. The officer doesn't mention what his, uh, his blood alcohol level was. But at that time, the officer tries to arrest him. And, of course, you know, as anyone, 
where their freedom is about to be taken for an unjustifiable reason. You know, they want to know what's going on. You know, and they wrestle him to the ground. They tase him, and, you know, there's some sort of whatever happens. You can't really see what's going on. But we do know that he gets up and he runs away from the officers. And you can't see it on video, but you can hear it. You can hear them gun him down. And you can hear the voices from all the people that were there witnessing it. Why did you shoot him? So quite naturally, given the mood of the nation at the moment, you know, what happened happened. They burned the Wendy's down and whatever else is happening down there. You know, I heard that uh, they were over near the precinct. They shut down one highway. But any, it, it goes to show that when we mentioned the article last week where it said police are reacting to protest against police violence with more violence. And this is just another case of it. There's even at a time when you would think police departments across the nation would be on their best behavior because they are under such scrutiny that the killing still goes on. Nothing stops. The machine keeps rolling. You know, so we've had since George Floyd, we've had at least ten deaths at the hands of police officers of unarmed people. And that's just with police officers. At least 10. It's almost as if they're trying to We have the incident with the... I'm sorry? It's almost as if they're trying to push us to rise up. Right. Right. In other words, creating the need for them because there's the talk of defunding the police And so they're trying to create the need. You know, we have the incident of the gentleman in uh, Oklahoma City where he's, you know, telling him, I can't breathe. And the officer tells him, I don't care. That was uh, Derek Ali Scott, 41 years old. There's, uh, yeah, we can just go down the list. There's just so many, one behind the other, one behind the other. Before you can even, before you can even grasp or just get the details in order as to what happened with one, there are three or four others. And then we have all the cases of the vigilante justice out there, or so-called vigilante justice, you know, like the Ahmad Avery case, or like the case in Ohio with the two. You know, the two teens who just basically went into an abandoned building and whatever to go smoke a joint, and the guy ends up killing both of them. You know, we have instances of this. We have the person who drove into the crowd. I don't recall. I think it was in Seattle where the guy who who was the uh, so-called white supremacist drove into the crowd of people. The leader. You know, because the leader we, because the we know that. Say it again, Max. He was the leader of that KKK chapter there. Wow, I wasn't even aware of that. The leader. The leader. You know, and then at the same time, we have the attorney general talking about there's no systemic racism in policing. You know, we have that New York Times article that's going to be up there that he literally came out and said that there's no systemic racism in policing. And this is the 
top cop, basically, in the United States saying this. You know, and they even said that uh, Chad Wolf, who's the acting secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, you know, made, made basically the same uh, comments, you know, said that uh, systemic racism was not an issue for law enforcement. You know, this, so at the same time that all these movements are going on, those at the top of the food chain are saying, oh, no, there's no problem. What are you talking about? There's nothing going on. Thanks, Yusuf. Appreciate that, man. Uh, yeah, and, yeah it, 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 you know, there, there are a few more, and it just goes on and on and on and on, you know, where you have uh, this, this other one. I can't let this one go. So this guy, uh, mm-hmm. Major Travis Yates of the Tulsa Police Department, and he's teaching a class at Broken Arrow Police Depro- Department, you know, and he says that uh, police shoot black Americans less than we probably ought to. You know, this is what he says. He's the he's a major in the Tulsa Police Department. He actually teaches classes, and this is what he's out here saying. They don't shoot us enough, that they need to be shooting us more. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's just really that blatant out there. And it was no wonder, you know, that Trump tried to have his rally on June 19th out there in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You know, it leaves me speechless, Max, and and uh, Dennis. It leaves me speechless. How y'all feel about that? Well, I, I think I'll encompass it in my final quotes. Uh, speaking of, I would like to invite Dennis to uh, also contribute a quote to end the evening with. So we'll get to that part. Uh, we'll start it out. And if you have one you would like to share with our audience, uh, feel free to join us in our final quotes for the evening. Um, so here, here's my comments about what you were just saying. Like the music said, mm-hmm. it's propaganda telling lies to our children. Uh, they're telling them that slavery is over. They're telling them that racism doesn't exist in policing. And this is despite all the facts and data that show otherwise. Uh, and it really is a matter of trying to keep information out of the people's hands so they don't really understand what it is that they're dealing with. <laughs> Brother Dennis? Also, <clears throat> yeah. Oh, I, I thought a... you were done. I can't tell. Was that, was that, was that Max or Dennis with... getting ready to speak? <laughs> I keep going. It was the. It's also the context of coding, and I like what you're saying in regards to the lies that they teach, because it really has to do with these umbrella associations. I always give an example. Uh, I do a lot for Black History Month, especially in the in the school districts, and in one predominantly you know African American school, I asked everyone in the audience from K to eight to tell me what was the first word they heard when the word black or African-American was said. And a little five-year-old kindergartner in the front row stood up, beautiful little girl, and she said out loud, slavery. And that broke my heart. That broke my heart because that little girl has been lied to and her royalty taken away from her because we have this predisposition to teach ourselves and propagate amongst ourselves 
that out of the thousands and thousands and thousands of years of history, which slavery only encompasses 2% of in the, in, in the African diaspora, that we reference ourselves by this concept. It seems to me that a lot, of some, a lot of people, and I've seen some leaders argue, and it seems like there's an addiction to it. Statistically speaking, when you confront people of color with the question, what are you, they respond with their color. When you ask people, what are white people, what are you, they respond with an adjective, color who have been indoctrinated to continue to propagate the lie. Scientific racism was debunked already through the, map, the mapping of the human genome. We all understand that these constructs are not real. I still don't understand why we use it. I don't understand why the system continues to c- classify, categorize, process, try, and report based on the construct of race. But when I stand in front of all of them and I ask them, what does that word mean? Not one of them could give me the answer. So we have to start recognizing where we stand. And this is the quote that I would share, which is a quote that I'm writing as part of my book. It's not going to be done anytime soon, but it's there. And this quote says, in order to be empowered, one must understand the power and the right behind self-declaration. We are in charge of our own mental programming. Now, what do we have available in the menu of subscriptions to apply to my programming? Well, that's been very limited, but we live in the age of information today. At the click of a button, you can find out what you need to find out. So I urge every listener to make sure that you incorporate who your ancestors were in the story of who you are, because that allows us to know that we don't, the fight never ended. We still got a whole lot more fighting to do. And that if we all stand together, we can make it happen. You have the right to declare yourself as you see fit. And the word slave and the word servant, the word inmate, the word addict, the word animal, any other word that gets plugged in there that has nothing to do with who you are as a spiritual being having a human experience on this earth. You are grand by divine right. You are godly. And none of those words match who you are. So as long as we get to recognize who we are, I don't care what courtroom and I don't care what jail you're in, no matter what word they try to impose upon your psyche and upon your identity, it goes down the drain because you know you walk with God. That's what I would say. Amen. Brother Yusuf, remember that that you're in control of the board tonight because my computer is not giving me access to anything. But I can share my final quote for the evening. Um, And that, first let me just say that as abolitionists, as slavery abolitionists, we are here to tell you that in the argument of reform versus no reform, there is a third option. And that third option is to end slavery. Here's my quote for the evening, and it comes from John Brown. These were his final words. Had I so interfered in behalf of the rich, the powerful, the intelligent, the so-called great, or in behalf of any of their friends, either father, mother, brother, sister, wife, or children, or any of that class, and suffered and sacrificed what I have in this interference, it would have been all right. And every man in this court, would have deemed it an act worthy of reward rather than punishment. John Brown's last words. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Max Parthas. I was joined tonight by Yusuf Hassan, my co-host, and Brother Dennis Fibo. Please continue to tune in and to support. We'll be back next week. Yusuf? I'd like to say to all of our comrades who are going to be attending Juneteenth events this week, Use it as an opportunity to educate the people on legalized modern slavery. 
and the 13th Amendment. We want to send a shout-out to Jamal Basile Bradley. And my quote, I'm going to be quoting uh, Malcolm X, off used, you know, if you're not ready to die for it, put the word freedom out of your vocabulary. You know, and I think that's in tune with, you know, our theme for this evening, dealing with the uh, martyrs of a movement. We That list that we put out just had so many people who were doing things as simple as trying to get people to register to vote or just minding their business. You know, and they were killed because of the color of their skin or because they supported people of a certain skin color. So, yeah, it's very important that we get this word out to educate the people on legalized modern slavery in the 13th Amendment. So our final segment is Ozzy Davis Reads Frederick Douglass Part 13 in our Bridging the Gap series. This one is called John Brown's Body. This is followed by John Brown's Body, Glory, Glory, Hallelujah by Helmut Lottie. We'll be back on June 21st. Until then, think about abolition today. Peace. Abolition. 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 Though in Canada and under British law, it was not impossible that I might be kidnapped and taken to Virginia. England had given me shelter and protection when the slave hounds were on my tracks 14 years before, and her gates were still open to me now that I was pursued in the name of Virginia. So on the 12th of November, 1859, I took passage from Quebec on board the steamer Scotia, bound for Liverpool. On reaching Liverpool, I learned that England was nearly as much alive as to what had happened at Harper's Ferry as the United States and I was immediately called upon in different parts of the country to speak on the subject of slavery, and especially to give some account of the men who had thus flung away their lives in a desperate attempt to free the slaves. After six months in England, news reached me from home of the death of my beloved daughter, Annie, the light and life of my home. Deeply distressed by this bereavement, and acting upon the impulse of the moment, regardless of the peril, I at once resolved to return home and took the first outgoing steamer for Portland, Maine. After a rough passage of 17 days, I reached home by way of Canada. Great changes had now taken place in the public touching the John Brown raid. Virginia had satisfied her thirst for blood. She had not given Captain Brown the benefit of a reasonable doubt but hurried him to the scaffold in panic-stricken haste. Emerson's prediction that Brown's gallows would become like the cross was already being fulfilled. The old hero in the trial hour had behaved so grandly that men regarded him not as a murderer, but as a martyr. His body was in the dust, but his soul was marching on. In a letter to a group of abolitionists assembling on July 4, 1860, to do honor to the memory of John Brown, I wrote, To have been acquainted with John Brown, shared his counsels, enjoyed his confidence, and sympathized with the great objects of his life and death, I esteem as among the highest privileges of my life. We do but honor to ourselves in doing honor to him, for it implies the possession of qualities akin to his. Though called home from Europe by one of the saddest events that can afflict the domestic circle, my presence here was fortunate, 
since it enabled me to participate in the most important and memorable presidential canvass ever witnessed in the United States, and to labor for the election of a man who, in the order of events, was destined to do a greater service to his country and to mankind than any man who had gone before him in the presidential office. That man was Abraham Lincoln, the candidate of the then young, growing, and united Republican Party. Against both Stephen A. Douglas and John C. Breckinridge, candidates of the divided Democratic Party, Abraham Lincoln proposed his grand historic doctrine of the power and duty of the national government to prevent the spread and perpetuity of slavery. Into this contest I threw myself with firmer faith and more ardent hope than ever before and what I could do by pen or voice to achieve the election of Lincoln was done with a will. The most remarkable and memorable feature of this presidential campaign was that it was prosecuted under the portentous shadow of a threat. Leading public men of the South openly proclaimed that they would proceed to take the slaveholding states out of the Union in the event of the election of Abraham Lincoln. This threat frightened the timid but stimulated the brave, and the result was the triumphant election of Abraham Lincoln. John Brown's body lies moldering in the grave. John Brown's body lies moldering in the grave. John Brown's body lies moldering in the grave. But his soul is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. But his soul is marching. the slave might be free. John Brown died that the slave might be free. John Brown died that the slave might be free. But his soul is marching on. 